All right, this is gonna tell you too much about me as a kid, especially being a first child, you know, type A, everything's gotta go just right, just kinda who we, who we are as first kids. But uh, as, a, as a kid, I love to read the newspaper. Like, not the newspaper on your phone, of course, not at that time on the internet, but like the actual, you had to go out and, and get it and pick it up and read the newspaper. I love, even today, I love the idea of reading the newspaper. Teenagers, if this doesn't make any sense to you, just imagine that you left your phone in the driveway overnight and you gotta go out the next morning and pick up your phone and see what's going on in the world. It's kinda like that. It's kinda like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna pick up the newspaper and see what's going on in the world. And I love this time of year, when you got to the end of the year, I love the idea that you would have these top 10 or top 20 list of what happened during the year. Like this is the 10 greatest news events of the year, or these were the top 10 sports moments of the year. I was a sucker for articles in the newspaper like that. We live in a world obsessed with knowing who is the greatest. We live in a world obsessed with knowing who is the best and the richest and the prettiest and the best of, greatest of whatever they do, the idea of a goat, the greatest of all time in a particular sport or in, in something they do, this idea of wanting to be great. And here's the deal. Every one of us has to answer the question of what does it mean to live a successful life? How do I know whether or not my life is successful? How do I know whether or not what I'm living for really matters? What does it mean to be great? And specifically, what does it mean to be great in the kingdom of God? Because you could be here and you've accomplished a lot in your life and you reach a certain point in life that you look up and you say, did this really matter? Like everything I've accomplished, everything I've done, does, does it really matter? Or you could be here this morning and you feel like I haven't done much with my life. I've been right on the edge of wasting my life. I've lived for things that don't matter. Does my life matter? Is what I'm doing, is it really successful? Is it really great? Am I going to live a life that counts? What does it mean to be great, to be successful in life, especially in God's eyes? Mark chapter 10, verse 32. Here's what it says there in verse 32. It says, Jesus and the disciples, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Now, the English Standard Version here gives road instead of way. It's a really sad moment in Bible translation. <laughs> that, that word there is the crucial word in the book of Mark about the disciples and Jesus are walking on the way. It's a way that's going to lead to Jerusalem. It's a way that's going to lead to the cross. And as Jesus leads his disciples on the way, he is shaping them to live according to his way. As we follow Jesus, it shapes us into his disciples, into his people. And so the people, the disciples, they are on the way. And what happens is they're on the way, it says they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. Why are they amazed at this point? Like why, why are they worried about what's going on? It's because Jesus keeps going to Jerusalem, knowing what's going to happen to him when he gets there. He is going to die. This, this path that he's on, this way that he's on, the end of it is going to be the cross, and they're amazed that he keeps going. Even though it's going to be a hard path, he keeps going. Verse 32, right there in the middle there, 
It says, taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Okay, I know it's not immediately obvious right there in the Gospel of Mark, but that prediction that Jesus is going to go to the cross, that he will die and he will rise again, that's the third time that prediction is made in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is obsessed with the number three, which I like to think I'm obsessed with the number three too. Like I love, I love the number three. This idea of things being repeated in threes. In literature, it's called the rule of three, or if you've ever studied much comedy, you know comedians love threes. They love to say something twice and then put in a surprise on the third. Uh, this is the idea of snap, crackle, and pop. It wouldn't matter if you had snap and crackle, you have to have pop. Or it would be stop, drop, and roll. Uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. How bad would the story be if it was the four little pigs? It's the three little pigs. Uh, it's the three billy goats gruff. It's the uh, three musketeers. This idea that in literature, or in the ways things are presented, it almost always comes in threes. And it comes in threes because it's this idea of building anticipation for where something's going to go. It's a sense of completeness. Think about uh, in the Bible, as the angels call out in praise to the Lord, what do they say? Holy, holy, if they stopped there, it wouldn't be complete. Holy, again, this idea of threes. And so what Mark has done, and you can see so many instances of this in his gospel, he loves to present things in threes, and it's building to a culmination. It's building to something big is going to happen. This is the third prediction that Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to die, and he's going to rise again. And so the sense is something's about to change. Something's about to happen here. Verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Wow, that's brash. <laughs> like that's, have, have they not been paying attention at all on the journey with, with Jesus here? This question of what do we want in life, this is actually going to be the question we look at next week for Christmas because we know that our ambitions in life the desires that we have, what do we want to see happen in life, it reveals what's happening in our hearts. Your ambitions reveal your heart. Your ambitions reveal your heart. What do we want Jesus to do for us? What do they want to happen here? What does Jesus do? He responds there in verse 36. He said, okay, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him in verse 37, grant us to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left in your glory. Now this is audacious. <laughs> this, is, this is incredible that they've spent all this time with Jesus, and what do they want? They want the glory, but they don't want the suffering. They wanna be a part of a team that wins, but they don't wanna to go to practice. <laughs> they wanna be a part of a band that competes and does things well, but they don't wanna put in the hours to prepare for that. They What's the old uh, sports thing, no pain, no gain? Like they want all the gain, they want all the glory, they don't want any of the pain that's going to come with it. And this reality impacts our lives in so many ways because people in life, 
We want influence, but we don't want integrity. We want leadership, but we don't want the love that gets us there. We want the resurrection, but we're bothered by the cross. We want the glory, we just don't know what it's gonna take to get there. And these disciples, they want the good things that are gonna come in life, they just don't want the journey that's going to take them there. This is, this is the balance. They say, just let us sit there at your right or your left. Now here's the problem. In Jesus' story, at the end of his story, who are the only two, what's the only way you end up on Jesus' right and left? You're hanging on a cross. The only two at the end of the story who end up on Jesus' right and left are, are hanging on a cross. This way of following Jesus, this way of glory is going to go through the cross. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? He's speaking of his suffering and his death. They said to him, yeah, we, we can do that. We can totally handle that. They, narrator, they, they cannot. <laughs> they, are not, they are not prepared for, for what's coming here. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. In other words, Jesus says, there are plans that the Father is working out. But if you want honor, if you want greatness in life, it's not yours to seek after or ask for on your own. God will take care of that. And almost always in the Bible, what happens? When it comes to a place of honor, when it comes to a place of glory, God gives it to the person least expected to receive that. So this morning in the Sunday school class I was teaching, we didn't, we got off the quarterly because I didn't know I was gonna be in the class, so we had to go down a different, a different uh, path. But we were talking about the book of 1 Samuel and how the book of 1 Samuel starts out with all these very important religious leaders, all these very important, powerful religious figures. And who does God use in that story? He uses Hannah. He uses this woman from a poor town who didn't have anything to give, and God works through her life. How does the Christmas story work? You have all these religious figures, all these powerful figures who are living for their own good, and who does God use? He uses Mary. He works through her. God loves to work through the least expected. If you come to the Lord and you say, God, I'm pretty incredible. I've got a lot to, I've got a lot to offer. I think you could really do some great things through me. That's a dangerous place to be. We, now, God will work through you, and he's given you those skills, and he's given you those abilities, and, and he will work through that. He will redeem that for his glory. But think about who God loves to use. God loves to use the person who comes to him and says, I have nothing, Lord. I have nothing. My only hope is that you would do something that only you would get the glory for. If you're here this morning and you think there is no way God would ever do anything great through me, I have so little to give, did you know you are in the perfect place for God to do something great? because it's not going to be about you. It's gonna be about what he's able to do, how he works for his glory. Verse 41, when the 10 other disciples heard about this, they began to be indignant or, or angry at James and John. Now here's the interesting thing the Bible doesn't completely answer here. Why are these other 10 disciples so mad at James and John for asking for these seats in glory? 
You know why I think they're mad? They're mad because they got to ask first. <laughs> they cut the line. They, they asked for what the other disciples really wish they could have asked for. Because I don't think the disciples are perfectly holy in this moment. I think they're angry because they think, I wish we could have had that. We wanted that spot. And James and John cut in line and, and asked for it first. Verse 42, Jesus called to them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Such an important verse in the Bible. I mean, this is, get, get the idea of this verse and it'll make the next three verses make perfect sense. What Jesus is telling them is the way you guys are acting right now, which is pretty petty and, and not, not very impressive, the way you're acting right now reflects that you think leadership and authority and power looks just like worldly influence and worldly success. Jesus is saying there, there are rulers of the Gentiles and the way they get things done is through oppression and power and authority and exploiting people. This word in fact, yeah it is up there, this word that means to lord it over them. It's the same word that's used in 1 Peter chapter five when Peter is talking about the way leaders in the church should and should not live. And in 1 Peter 5, Peter tells the leaders in the church, your job is not to domineer people. Your job is not to exploit people. Your job is not to take advantage of people. There are types of leadership in the world that does that. That should not happen in the kingdom of God. We are not of those who exercise our authority over people. So how should we live? Man, these next verses are good. Just like highlight them, underline them, circle them. Students, there's one verse in particular I'm gonna ask you to put on your phone this week to hold on to. These next three verses, if we get them, it transforms our lives, our church. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. In other words, we're not gonna, we're not gonna act like the rulers of this world. It should not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Feel the weight of those verses. There's a type of leadership in this world that's domineering, that's exploitive, that's all about reaching popularity and having a platform and gaining things for yourself. And then Jesus says, we're not doing that. My disciples are not going to live like that. My church is not gonna be built on that style of leadership. Instead, if you wanna know what greatness is in my kingdom, you're gonna serve others. This is the New Testament word for being a deacon. We are all called to be deacons. We are all called to serve. And it says, if you wanna know what it is to be great, you're gonna be a slave. You're gonna give your life for the good of others. How to be great in this world. This sounds like the worst internet article ever, but how, how to be great, like how can I be great in this world? Point number one, we will display the way of Jesus through humble service of others. Write it down, take it to the bank. If you want to live a successful life, if you want your life to count, if you want to be great, the most important thing you can do is to live the life of Jesus by humbly serving others. Some people want shortcuts, we're gonna make sacrifices. Some people only go down smooth roads, we're gonna embrace suffering. Some people are only focused on having success, we're gonna serve other people. This is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus, 
Picks up the towel and the basin and does what? We wash feet. This is the way of Jesus. This is how we're going to live. The way of Jesus picks up the mop, the mop bucket, and does what? We wash floors. You want to serve Jesus, you want to be great, we wash feet and we wash floors. This is what we've been called to. This is what we are going to give our lives to. We are going to humbly serve others because that's exactly how Jesus has served us. Now, where are the dangers? Why, why is this so hard? Why is this so difficult? Well, it, it's partly difficult because we live in a world that struggles with this. And let's not blame other people. We, we struggle with this, like in, in our hearts. We live in a world where people love a winner. They love someone who will defeat their enemies, especially their political enemies. They love people who will gain profit and attract attention to their business. They love church leaders who have big personalities and will attract crowds. This is what we desire. This is the world we live in that desires that. And Jesus comes along and says, nope, we're, we're not doing that. We're going to wash feet and we're going to wash floors. This shows up. Well, we know it shows up in politics. I, I can just say that and we can almost, we can go on. But we, we, we see this maybe most blatantly in politics. When someone is elected to political office, what are we calling that person? We're going to call that person a public servant. Except we know it doesn't feel like that a lot of times, does it? It feels like whoever can defeat their enemies, whoever can attract the attention, whoever can gain the votes, whoever can win the day, that's who we elevate into places of leadership. And we see the results of that. We, we, we see the way that that kind of turns our stomach. And you're like, that's not supposed to be like that. You're supposed to be in that position of leadership in order to serve others. This happens in your workplaces. So many times in a workplace, you have people who are trying to run over each other to get to the top. We're gonna do whatever it takes to gain more profit. We're gonna gain, do whatever it takes to get more customers. We're gonna do whatever it takes to be more successful. And there's a question behind this. Is success bad? Like, it, there, there's a part of this message that could really grate against you based on your personality and, and how you're driven, because you could be in here this morning and you have a driven, ambitious personality and it would be easy to hear this and say, is there no place for me in the kingdom of God? And I would say, hold on, let's, let's have a conversation about this. I'm not saying that in your job or your career or what you do, I'm not saying that ambition and achievement are bad. I'm saying we have to watch our motives and we have to watch how we get there. The how and the why matter. So if you're in your business and God has allowed you to be successful, and you've worked hard, and God is blessed, and he's allowed you to move up in your corporation, or he's allowed your business to grow, give all glory to him for that. You didn't run over people. You didn't exploit people. You just said, God, I want to give this to you. This business is yours. This career is yours. If you allow me to move up, I'll honor and praise you, but I'm going to do it as someone who serves the people I work with. And I'm going to serve my customers, and I'm going to serve my boss, I'm going to serve my coworkers. I'm going to live like Jesus wherever you put me, and if you elevate me, you receive all the glory in that. Think about friendships. Think about when you're in a friendship with someone, and you get the feeling they're trying to use you. So you, you have this friendship, you have this relationship with someone, 
and you get the feeling what they're really trying to do is increase their platform or their popularity, and they're just using you to get there. That's not a friendship, is it? <laughs> There's everything about that that says that just doesn't feel right. I'm being used by this person just so they'll become more popular, just so they'll advance in life. What's a friendship built on? Humbly serving one another, caring for one another. Remember, 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 hold on to this, especially if you have a very passive personality. Serving someone is not being used by them. Serving someone does not mean you become a rug that they just walk all over. We are able to truly serve people when we're in a position to know our identity in Christ, and we are able to serve people when we lay down our lives for them, not when they run over us. So when you hear this idea of being a servant and serving other people, this does not just mean passively I allow people to run over me, it means that in Christ I lay down my life for them, I wash their feet, I wash their floors. That's the way I want to live. And here's the one that should terrify us. Here's the one that should get our attention, and we're just gonna take our time on this because we, we need to feel this deeply. This idea of wanting to win, wanting to attract attention, wanting to grow bigger, faster, stronger, this is a problem in the church. And if you don't believe me that's a problem in the church, uh, I could show you lots and lots of examples of where people grow to a place of influence that their character cannot sustain them. Where churches are driven almost entirely, not entirely, but almost entirely by how do we get more people, more money, more things, it's just about being the best. What's the problem with that? Does it reflect the way of Jesus? Are we driven by what it means to serve others? This last week, uh, we started a new little podcast here at Emmaus that we're adding on to the sermon podcast, and we had our first special guest on, Ann Darling, who many of you uh, know and love. Ann came onto the podcast this week, and she said, I have a long list of concerns I want to share with you. And I'm like, not on the podcast. Sorry, Ann, you can't share your list of concerns on the podcast. But as she was sharing on the podcast about God's work in her life, one of the things she talked about was how Adamaeus, one of her favorite things about our church family is how many people are serving behind the scenes and no one ever knows about it. That people are serving not because they want the attention, not because they're trying to get more popular, not because they're trying to impress anyone, they just wanna be used by God to minister to other people. And man, I love this church for that reason. That you are devoted to serving one another in the name of Jesus. It doesn't matter who gets the honor for it. It doesn't matter who gets the attention. The only hope is that we're able to serve others and point them to Jesus. That as a church, we would say, God, we are not going to live with it being our main goal that we be the greatest, most popular, most powerful church. That is a dangerous place to get to, friends. We are going to live in such a way that our main goal is that we would serve others in the name of Jesus, that that's how we would live, that that's how we would operate as a church. And here's the question, how do you get there? How do you become that type of church? It's verse 45. Verse 45 is how you get there. Students, put this thing in your phone, memorize this. Adults, if you don't have this verse memorized, your job for Christmas is to invite someone to the Christmas service and it's to memorize Mark 10, 45. Like this, this is the verse that's at the foundation of everything we do where it says here, even the Son of Man 
came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Son of man language there, if you want to make a note in your Bible, son of man language there is Daniel chapter 7. What Jesus is doing is he's picking up this imagery from the Old Testament, from Daniel 7, about the son of man figure who will come in glory. So when people heard son of man, they heard power and authority, and this is how God's kingdom is going to break into the world. This should be a powerful figure. What does the son of man do when he shows up? He doesn't come to be served. He comes to serve. And how is he going to serve? He is going to serve by giving his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom was used in the ancient world for making a payment to free someone who was enslaved or free someone who was trapped. You made a ransom payment in order to receive someone back. What you find here is this really beautiful theology about why Jesus came. Why did Jesus come? He came to fulfill God's plans for his people and to die for his people, to save his people from their sins. Why did Jesus have hands and feet? He had hands and feet in order to serve people, to go where the Father went, and he also had hands and feet to take the nails. Why did Jesus have a head? Jesus had a head so that he would go and speak the words of Jesus, or speak the words of God to the people, but also so he would be able to wear the crown. Why did Jesus have, the, have a back? Jesus had a back so he could give kids piggyback rides, and he also had a back because he would take the stripes. He would bear our sins. Jesus took on flesh to live, to fulfill the plans of God, and to die, to give his life for us. That every person, every person is caught under the power of sin and under the power of death. These are the two things that Jesus rescued us from. This word ransom, that he gave his life as a ransom for many, what did he rescue us from? He rescued us from sin and death. The two things in scripture that are said to enslave you is when your life is caught up in sin, when you just go through a period and you're like, I'm just gonna live for myself. I don't care what anybody else says. You could be here today and you could be 13 or you could be 80 and you know you are enslaved to sin. You're just living however you want to live and it's leading down a path of destruction. And the Bible also says that we are enslaved to the fear of death. That it doesn't matter how great you are in this world, you cannot escape the reality of death. And yet Jesus has come and he has rescued us from both of those. How? By giving his life, by dying for us in our place, taking on the sin and death that were ours. He took that on and he gave you his righteousness and his life. And this story here in this verse points to the second way to be great. The second way to be great is that we are going to proclaim the way of Jesus through theology and worship. So what was the first way to be great? It was you displayed the way of Jesus by humbly serving others. You wanna live a great life? You're gonna serve others humbly. But you wanna have a great life? We are also going to proclaim Jesus with our mouth. We are gonna confess him as Savior and Lord through our theology and through our worship. And, and there's an important, important connection here. Because in church, in church, there are some people that just say, 
let's just serve people. Like, let's just help people. That's all we need to do is just go out in the world and just do good social things. Just go out and serve people. And there are other people that say, all we need to do is preach the gospel. Like, let's just go out and we're just going to preach the gospel and how you can be saved. And we're here to say, if you want to be great, those two come together. We serve people humbly, and the reason we do that is because we believe that Jesus has served us first, that he has laid down his life for us. He gave his life as a ransom, and so we are saved, and because we have been rescued, we're gonna turn around and we are gonna serve others. If you think about this story in Mark chapter 10 as kind of a movie, the soundtrack or, or the screenplay, the, the music behind that movie are two songs that you find in the Bible. And I've got these verses up here on the screen. If you want to write these in your Bible and look at them later, if you wanna to turn to these places in your Bible, you can do this, but when you see Mark chapter 10, verse 45, there are two songs, two soundtracks playing in the background. The first is Isaiah chapter 53, and the second is Philippians chapter two. And what I want to do is I just want to read through some of these passages because I want you to hear the music behind this idea. I want you to hear the music that's going on behind what we learn here in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. So Isaiah chapter 53, verse one. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then verse 12 at the end of that chapter. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the servant song of Isaiah 53. The servant of God who didn't have anything, any greatness in this world, but he laid down his life for us. He gave his life so that we could have rescue, so we could have salvation. Here's the other passage, Philippians chapter two, verses five through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the famous Christ hymn from Philippians chapter two that follows this pattern of Jesus from glory to suffering and back to glory. It's a picture of the one we worship. 
It's a picture of how we're supposed to live, and it's a picture that sends us out into the world because we know one day every person will confess Jesus as Lord. The question is, do we do it before it's too late? Do we confess Jesus as Lord now as he's calling us to this together? So how do you be great in this world? You display the way of Jesus by humbly serving others. You wash feet and you wash floors. It doesn't matter what position of leadership you're in. And you proclaim the way of Jesus, that he is savior, that he is the one who has come to rescue us from our sins. Here's the question. How do you take those two pieces and bring them together? The way you do it is through the Lord's Supper. Displaying the way of Jesus and proclaiming the way of Jesus, those two realities are brought together most powerfully, most beautifully through the Lord's Supper. Because no one, no one comes to the Lord's Supper thinking that they have rescued themselves. The very nature of coming to this time of worship is realizing that only Jesus could meet my deepest needs. Only Jesus could take on my sin and death. He is where I find hope. He is where I find salvation. And so if you come in just a moment to take this cracker and take this juice, you are confessing that Jesus is Savior and Lord. He is the one who has rescued me. And no one comes to the Lord's Supper thinking they are better than anyone else. When we come to this time of worship, we come recognizing our weakness. We come recognizing our need for repentance. We come recognizing our need to be humble toward one another as part of the church. And so today, what is God's call in our life? It's to wash feet, to wash floor, and to remember that Jesus is our Savior, that he is our Lord, that he is where we find hope. This whole idea is summarized in our church verse that we have at Emmaus, 2 Corinthians 4, 5. So what we're gonna do is before we take the Lord's Supper together, we're just gonna say this verse together because this is a verse as, this is our verse as a church that says, these are the things we believe. We're gonna be servants toward one another and we are gonna confess Jesus as Lord. So here's what I'd ask you to do. If you would say this verse with me in just a moment and then I'm gonna pray for us. And after I pray for us, the deacons are gonna come forward and they're gonna prepare these tables and you're gonna be invited to come to the tables, take the elements, and go back to your seat and wait and we will take the Lord's Supper together. Before we do that, let's say this verse together. Let's do this, Emmaus. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Let's pray together we're gonna have this time of worship. Father, thank you for Mark chapter 10. God, we know that we live in a world um, and this reality can come up in every one of our lives where there's just a desire to be great. There's a desire to be recognized. There's a desire to impress other people. God, it feels like everyone around us is being successful. Everyone around us is doing things and we don't see that in our own lives. And remind us, God, remind us that in your kingdom, True greatness comes when we serve others, when we wash feet and we wash floors. And God, remind us that the reason we do that is not just to serve people, we do that because of what Jesus has done for us. And God, I pray if there's someone here today who is not a Christian, they have never 
turned away from their sin. They've never escaped the fear of death by turning to Jesus. God, I pray that they would do that today. And God, if there's anyone here that they just feel beaten up by life recently, God, they have been through such pain and difficulty, confusion in their own lives. God, would you remind them where they find hope in life? God, would you remind them of the one who loves them and who gave his life for them? God, remind us of the hope we have through Christmas, the hope that points us to the cross and the resurrection. And God, we celebrate it together right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.